0: until We saw in the previous Mishnah that if the only factor which is obligating produce in Meisras is the fact that it's being sold, then one is allowed to eat individual parts of the fruit one by one without tithing it first. But if there's any other factor which is causing it to be obligated in Meisras, for example if it's reached its melacha stage, or if it's also in a courtyard, then it's forbidden to even eat one without first tithing it. So the mission says that one who hires a worker to work on his olives. And we're talking about a work which would mean that he's not entitled to food from the Torah. So for example, if he's just covering the roots of the olive trees, that means that according to the Torah alone, he is not automatically entitled to eat from those olives. The only way he would be entitled is if he makes a deal with the employer, in which case he would get food in exchange for his work, and it will be considered a sale. And indeed, in our case, that's what happened. On my life, the worker said to the employer, echol I will work on the olives on condition that I can eat the olives. So since the only factor obligating him in Maestro's here is the fact that it's a sale, the food is not yet processed. In fact, it's still attached to the ground, so echel 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 Potter, he can eat the one, the olives one by one, and be exempt from tying them first, the Imtzerif, however, if he join them together, meaning if he picked a couple of olives off the tree, and only then ate them, then Chayef, he is obligated to tie them first, as we have seen a number of times in previous Mishnayis, that picking more than one off the tree gives them significance such that they were to be obligated in tithes. On a similar note, if the job was to remove weeds from among onions, and oh my the worker said to the employer, I will do the work on condition that I can eat the green parts of the onions. So the onion leaves. So once again, since the only thing obligating him in Maistress is the sale, Olive so he can peel off each leaf of the onions individually, and eat them without tithing them, but for Imtzeraf, if he joined together more than one, say, peel, let's say, two or three ol- um, leaves off the onions in one go, then chayav he would be obligated to tithe the produce before eating it. Mishadalad, the halacha is that if somebody finds something lost, there's a mitzvah of returning the lost item. However, if it can be assumed that the owner of the item has given up hope of ever finding it again, that's known as yush then he is no longer considered the owner of the item, and the item becomes hefka, ownerless for anybody to take. And most commonly, if there is no simon, which means there's no distinguishable feature of that item, there's no way that the owner would recognizably prove that it is his, then he would give up hope, he would have yish, which means that somebody who finds it can keep it. Now, assuming the finder is allowed to keep it, the question of whether he is obligated to tithe that, if it's food, is of concern. The halach is that hefka produce, ownerless produce, is pr- exempt from tithes. However, that's only true if it was ownerless before it reached its Gemayim melacha, the end of its processing. So if this lost food was only lost after its process was completed, after the Gemayim melacha, then you will be obligated to tithe it. But if it was lost before the Gmai Malacha stage, then if you want to eat it straight away, you can do so even without tithing it. Begins the Mishnah. says by Baderech If somebody finds cut figs on the way, on the road, and we're talking about figs which are spread out to dry, and often before drying then they would cut them slightly, so it's recognisable that these figs were spread out to be dried. However, they're not yet dried, which means they have not yet reached their stage of G'mai M'lachah, so as we will see in a few moments, that will mean that they are exempt from tithes. And the Mishnah says that even if they are found on the side of a field full of these cut figs, so it's obvious that they came from that field, and so you would think that somebody who finds them is not allowed to keep them, because the owner would assume that he can get them back, because it's obvious that they're from his field. Nevertheless, we're going to see the one who finds them is allowed to keep them. Because you can assume that the owner did give up hope on getting them back, and the reason for that is that the owner would think that anybody who passes these figs will just pick them up and keep them. They'll think they're on the ground, they're on the floor, somebody must have dropped them, they're not necessarily from this field which they're next to, and that's what the owner will think, that anybody will just take them and they won't be there anymore. Which means that the owner gives up hope, which means that somebody who finds them is actually allowed to take them. And the mission says that the same applies, the same would apply to a fig tree, which is leaning over the pathway, over the road, and he finds figs underneath that tree. So once again, although it's obvious that they came from the tree, or it's very likely that they came from the tree, the owner of the tree will still give up hope of getting them back, because he will think that somebody who passes them will just pick up those figs from the floor and keep them for himself. And therefore, Motharism Mishram Gezel, they are permitted in terms of theft, meaning to keep them would not be stealing. So somebody who finds them can take them and keep them. And furthermore, move towards Isis. And they are exempt from tithes, because as we explained in the case of the drying figs, they haven't yet dried, so they haven't reached their And Malacha. The and in the case of the figs under the tree, they also haven't reached their Gemari because they haven't been gathered together. Which means that since they are ownerless before the stage of the gemar melacha, they are exempt from tithes. Now the Mishnah does say that there is an exception to this, and that is with of When it comes to olives or carobs, so if, for example, there was an olive tree or a carob tree leaning towards the road, and underneath there there were olives or carobs on the floor, in that case chayovim, you will be obligated. And this is talking about the theft and the miserus, meaning it's forbidden to even keep them. And if you do, you would be obligated in maestros. And the reason why olives and carobs are different is because each olive tree, the olives are slightly different, and so are the carobs, which means that we can be absolutely certain in this case that the olives underneath the tree and the carobs underneath the tree came from that tree. It's not just likely, but it can actually be proved if you just compare the appearance of the olives or the carobs with the ones on the tree. And because of that, the owner does not give up hope of getting them back Because he thinks that somebody who passes them won't take them. Because here it can be proved that it is the owners, the owner of the trees. And since the owner doesn't give up hope, someone who finds them is not allowed to take them. And of course, if he does take them, it will be obligated in my because it's not ownerless. Since the owner of the tree hasn't given up hope, he still owns that fruit. Now the truth is, figs also have a distinct shape and appearance depending on which tree they come from. So really, in the previous case as well, you shouldn't be able to keep the figs underneath the tree. However, figs when they fall off the tree, they're much softer and therefore once they fall onto the ground, they become slightly ruined and their appearance has changed, and therefore it can't be proven that they came from the tree. So although it's likely in that case, it can't be proven and so the owner does give up hope of getting them back. The mission now returns to the first case of the figs, where it cannot be proven that it belongs to the owner of the field or the tree, and therefore the owner would give up hope, and therefore you can keep the figs if you find them. But there's going to be one slight difference here, and that is Mozart Gregorius. He found figs which were already dried. So in terms of keeping them, this makes no difference. You can still keep them, because the owner would still have given up hope, because it can't be proven that they belong to him. However, because they've been dried, it could be that they have reached their Gmai Malacha already before the owner gave up hope, which means that they were owned by somebody, when they reached their Gmail Malacha stage, and it only became ownerless after that, which means that they would be obligated in Mysiris. The question is how do we know when the owner gave up hope? How do we know when they became ownerless? So the answer is adam, if most people in that location had already pressed their figs into barrels. That is considered the gemar melacha of dried figs. So if most people in that location had already done that, then Chayev, the finder, would be obligated to tithe it, because we assume that this these dried figs had also been pressed into a barrel already, and that they had maybe fallen out of the barrel. But the point is, they had reached their gemar melacha already, before they were lost. And if they're obligated in tithes, however they live. love. If not, if most people in that location had not yet reached their melacha of the dried figs, then we assume that this these dried figs are the same, and therefore that it became ownerless and lost already before the melacha, and therefore Potter who would be exempt from tithing them and he could eat that produce in a casual way, in a temporary way, without separating any tithes. Okay, next case, Mozapoche de Velo, if you found pieces of a fig cake So once figs are made into a fig cake, that's certainly their melacha stage. And presumably once they were cut, that was after the melacha stage. So if the owner lost pieces of a fig cake, that means he lost them after they had reached the melacha, Which means that they are obligated in Maestros Chayv, he would be obligated to tie them because it is known that they come from something which has been completed, which has reached their melacha. However, you are allowed to keep them, because since they're pieces of a cake, the owner definitely gives up hope of return of getting them back, because he won't be able to prove that they are his. Now the Mishnah ends off by discussing the Hecheruven, carobs, and we're discussing carobs which were drying on a roof, and we learnt in Pereg Aleph that the Gemar stage for fruit which was drying on a roof is once they are piled up together. That was done only once they had been fully dried. So the Mishnah says that before they were gathered into a pile on the top of the roof, he can bring some down from the roof and feed to his animals and be exempt from tithing them first, because since they haven't yet been piled together, they have not yet reached their Gemara Malacha, which means that they can be eaten even without tithing. Now the truth is, the Mishnah implies that he's allowed to feed them to his animals, but he himself is not allowed to eat them. And the reason for this is something which we've had a similar case earlier on in the Masechda, and that is that if people see him eating these carobs which are half-dried, they'll think that they're fully dried, and, they are, and that they are obligated in the Trimus and Miserus, and that he is eating them without separating the tithes. And so it would be forbidden for him himself to eat them down in the courtyard or something. Now he would be able to eat them where they are drying on the roof, because then it's clear he's right next to them drying, so it's clear that they are still drying and have not yet reached Gemari Melacha. But for him to bring them down from the roof and eat them downstairs would be forbidden. But as we saw in the Mishnah, his animals can eat the food even downstairs, not on the roof, because the fact that the animals are eating them does not imply that they are ready. It's very likely that when they're half dry, animals would eat them, but humans wouldn't eat them. And so the fact that the animals are eating them does not show that their process is being completed, and therefore he may feed his animals that pr- that produce without separating Maestris. Now the Mishnah does add on another condition for it to be permitted to feed your animals, and that a Eurasio-Machdesar-Masar because he returns the, less- the leftover. Meaning, we're assuming that once he finishes feeding his animals this produce, if there's any left over which the animal did not eat, he's going to bring them back to the roof. And because of that, he's showing that he's not considering part of the dried figs as completed, and sort of taking those away and separating them from the rest of the produce, and considering these to be completed. That's not what he's doing. Rather, he's showing that he understands that these are also not processed, and he's feeding those to his animals, and any ones which are left over, He's going to put back on the roof, which shows that they were not processed when he took them off the roof. And it's because of that assumption that it's permitted to feed his animals, because otherwise, if let's say there were leftover figs and he did not return them to the roof, he's showing that he views these ones as processed. But since that is not the case, since he is putting them back on the roof, he is showing that he views all of the figs as not yet processed. Mishnahir, the Torah says that once one brings his produce into the house, or into his house of living, it becomes obligated in Trimus and Maesrus straight away, such that it cannot be eaten, even in a temporary achilas aray manner, without first tithing it. Now as we've seen, the same applies to a courtyard. If somebody brings produce into his courtyard, that would also obligate it in Maesrus. However, this is only the case if the courtyard is similar to a house. Now, what makes a courtyard similar to a house? So, according to the first two opinions now Mishnah, the defining feature of a house is its security. And therefore, if there is enough security in a courtyard, then it would be the same as a house. However, according to the last two opinions in Mishnah, the defining most important and significant feature of a house is the privacy of the house. And therefore, only if the courtyard has that privacy, would it obligate produce which enters it to be tithed asks the Mishnah shi what is considered a courtyard which is obligated in Miserus, which really means that it obligates the produce which enters it in tithes. So Rabbi Shmuel, and Rabbi Shmuel says it has to be a courtyard, like the courtyards which they had in the place called Tsur, and in those courtyards there would be a guard at the entrance of the courtyard, making sure there was enough security and safety in the courtyard, and therefore Shakelim the utensils and objects in the courtyard were guarded. If the courtyard has such security like that, it will be considered like a house in that the produce will be obligated in tithes. Now Rabbi Akiva agrees that security is the factor, but Rabbi Akiva Rabbi Akiva says, any courtyard where one person could unlock it, and one person could lock the courtyard, petura, would be exempt. So Rabbi Akiva is saying, even if there is a guard there, let's say during the day, that won't help because if two people have the key to the courtyard, so one will lock it, very nice, there's lots of security, but then the other person could just unlock it and there's no longer security. So whereas Rabbi Shmuel says the security of a courtyard depends on a guard, Ya'kiva says it depends on there being only one person who is able to lock or unlock the courtyard. Now, the next two opinions hold that the main feature which the courtyard needs to have is privacy. So Rabbi Nechemia says, "...Kol she any courtyard which a person would not be embarrassed to eat inside, Chayeves is obligated. And generally, somebody does not like to eat in a courtyard, which is totally open for everybody to see. So, according to only a courtyard which people from the outside cannot see into, only that would be considered something which would obligate the produce which enters it in Mycerus. And Rabbi Yeisir, Rabbi says, and he's going to give an example of a courtyard which does not have enough privacy, and that is, Kolshenich Nasla. Any courtyard where, if somebody were to enter the courtyard, and that person does not live there, the ein oimeloi and somebody in the courtyard would not ask him, "What, you, what would you like? What are you looking for?" Petura it is exempt, because if no one asks him, "What are you doing here?" then clearly it's not so private, and people come in and out as they please. So, whereas the the privacy of a courtyard depends. On being able to eat there without people seeing properly, according to Yosier, it depends on how they would treat somebody who comes in who does not live there, and what the reaction would be. The Mishnah ends off with a statement of Rabi Yehuda, and Rabbi Yehuda is of the opinion of Rabi Akiva, and according to Rabi Akiva, the definition of a courtyard which obligates something in Myserus is a courtyard which is private, such that not more than one person has the ability to lock or unlock the courtyard. So the Mishnah says, Reb Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says, If there are two courtyards, and one courtyard is inside of the other courtyard. So there's a very large courtyard, and part of that courtyard is made up of a smaller courtyard, and the owner of the smaller courtyard has permission to go through the larger courtyard in order to get to his smaller courtyard. And as such, he also has a key to the outer courtyard, which means Hapanimis Chayevis. Produce which is brought into the inner courtyard does become obligated in Mycess because only the owner of the inner courtyard has the key to the inner courtyards. But Vahiits Seina, produce which enters the outer courtyard Petura, remains exempt from tithes because there are two different people who can lock and unlock the outer courtyards. Who are those two people? the owner of the outside courtyard, and the owner of the inner courtyard. And since it be holds like it could be Akiva, the outer courtyard would not obligate the produce in Maeserus. Volve, if produce is brought onto Hagagai's roofs, turin, the produce remains exempt from Maeserus, because the roofs are not considered part of the house. On top of the roof is considered to be a separate domain. And this is the case, even if the roof is inside a courtyard, which would make the produce obligated. And what this is saying is an amazing thing. Imagine you've got a house inside a courtyard, and if you were to bring produce into the courtyard or the house, it would become obligated, but not into the roof. That means that if somebody wants, let's say he's got produce outside of the courtyard, and it's not yet obligated in Tremis and Maestres, and he wants to bring that to his roof, even though he has to go through the courtyard in order to get to his roof, the produce will remain exempt since the only reason why he's bringing it through the courtyard is in order to get to the roof. And the roof does not obligate it in Mysras. Continues the Mishnah, based Sha'ar, a gatehouse, a small structure for the guard to sit in at the entrance of the courtyard, a, chsadro, a large porch, a balcony, a balcony, these have exactly the same status as the courtyard itself. They're not considered their own domain, they're not significant enough for that. And therefore, they're considered secondary to the courtyard, and therefore, in Chayavis, if the courtyard in which they are in makes the produce obligated, then Chayavin these structures would also make the produce obligated, but if the courtyard would make the produce still exempt, then these structures would also make the produce exempt, meaning they would not obligate that produce in tithes if they enter those structures.